before I dive in, before I bring you the word, uh, I just want to introduce my family a little bit. I talk about my family a lot when I preach, so to give you a little bit of context, I want to show you a picture of my boys, if you could pull that up for me, uh, right here. Aren't they, I mean, aren't they so sweet? That's where you say, aww. They're just so sweet, uh, and, and they look cute. They look uh, innocent here, but I just, I, there's something about my boys that you should know, and that is that both of them are currently in need of the salvation of the Lord. Like, I need both of them to text yes one to 94,000 at the beginning of this message. If you're new here, you're going to get that in about 37 minutes and 24 seconds. Uh, but the reality is, this is the kind of stuff that I post on social media, this is not what it looks like behind the scenes all of the time. And we live in an interesting world where it seems like we are, our context of everybody else, else's life is their highlights. And we see this, and if I were to scroll through your social media, I would think that you're always smiling you're always happy, that you're always on vacation and eating amazing food. If I were to scroll through your social media, I would think that you love your kids all of the time. Um, but we know that what we post on social media, what we post when we post the highlights and what happens between the highlights are very different things. You guys know what I'm talking about. They're, they're, they're very different. So I thought it would be appropriate and fun at the beginning of this message before I preach the word of God to show you a couple pictures but then tell you the whole story, okay? So I'm going to expose myself for a moment because there's always more to the story. So I'm just going to start with this picture right here. Sweet picture, beautiful picture. I think the caption for this photo on Instagram was something like, love these boys with my whole heart. But, but here's what was happening behind the scenes. See, Carter is not tall enough to be face-to-face -face with Micah. So I am out of the frame holding Carter up like this. And Kaylee is taking the picture. We also didn't get that picture on the first try. So for about five minutes, I'm holding my son like this. And he's getting up there in pounds. So after a few minutes, my arms are burning. My core is burning. And I'm like, Kaylee, can you please get the picture that you're trying to get? And she's like, you know what? I carried both of them for nine months. You can hold them for just for a moment. And so I'm struggling and I'm holding this, these boys. And finally, we get the, the photo that we want. I set Carter down. I collapse on the ground. That's an exaggeration. But I'm feeling exhausted. And right when I set Carter on the ground, Micah, my, my oldest, puts Carter in a headlock. This is a true story. He puts Carter in a headlock. Carter starts screaming. We're like, let go of your brother. He breaks free, hits his brother. I told you they need to be saved, okay? Man, before I was a parent, I used to judge other parents so hard. I'd be like, oh, my kid would never. Y'all, if, if you don't have kids yet and you're saying, my kid would never, you're going to eat those words one day. I'm just going to tell you right now. And so, and so Carter starts crying. Micah starts crying. I start crying. There's more to the story is the point of, of the teaching. And, and let me just say, over any like family picture that you see on social media, you need to know that there is always a dark origin story <laughs> of that family photo. Like, don't believe the highlights. If, if you, you can just go to a park where people take pictures all the time and you will find those parents who are psychologically manipulating their kids into getting a smile. You know what I'm saying? Hey, I told you, we will get ice cream. We will get ice cream. Or you'll find that parent that's just like, okay, fine, no ice cream. That's it, say bye to the ice cream, bye. You're not getting ice cream. You can't give me one good photo. 
stomping off. I gave birth to seven of you. You can't give me one photo. One, all I, I'll ask for was one picture. That's all I want. You guys have ruined this day. And then that same parent posts the picture on social media and she's like, they're the reason I breathe. <laughs> what happens in the highlights and what happens between the highlights Different story. Let me show you one more picture. This is going to be a picture of me and my wife, if you could pull that up. Cute picture, right? Aww. And uh, this is us on uh, family vacation, uh, staying with Kaylee's parents. Got a nice log cabin on the lake, and it was just a beautiful experience. But guess what? There's more to the story. And what you don't see in this picture, and, uh, you know, I wrote the caption for this picture, and I wrote a very romantic caption. And, uh, but what you don't see is the fight that my wife and, ha- and I had before we left for vacation. And it would be inappropriate for me to share you the details of that fight on stage, but I don't really care because I want your opinion on it. So let me share with you the fight that we had right before we left. Right before we left, I was reorganizing our garage, and I put a mattress up in our garage near, everyone say near, near the, the button that, that controls our sprinkler system. So I put it up there, and she walks out. We're about to walk out the door. She said, can you move that mattress? Because I don't want it to activate our sprinkler system while we're gone and cost hundreds of dollars. I said, hey, it's not on it. I got good news for you, Kay. Uh, it, it, it's not on it. It's near it. She, she, she's like, but I don't want it to accidentally press it. I was like, Kaylee, that's not how buttons work. They, they don't get pressed when they're near something. They get pressed when they're on something. So we went back and forth and had this argument. Can we be real today? And I, we went back and forth and had this argument. And if, you can, if you're wise, you probably know who won the argument. I ended up moving the mattress. But the point of the story is there's more to the story. There's, there's the highlights, and then there's the stuff that happens between the highlights. And so I just want to take the next 30 minutes today and I want to preach a message entitled Between the Highlights. Between the Highlights. And uh, I, I think that we, we, we need to realize that Jesus had highlight moments and he had between the highlight moments. And uh, I'm going to show you a few highlights to get started. We'll go to the Word of God, Luke chapter 3, verse 21. It says, now when all the people were baptized, and when Jesus had also been baptized and was praying, the heavens were opened. And the Holy Spirit descended on him in bodily form like a dove, and the voice came from heaven saying, you are my beloved son. With you, I am well pleased. This is a highlight moment. This is Jesus' baptism. This is a beautiful, I mean, it's beach day. Jesus is out in the sun, hanging with his friends. This is a glorious moment. This is a beautiful moment. This is a postable moment. This is a highlight moment. This is where Jesus is publicly aligning himself with the Father. It's incredible. He's having an encounter with the presence of the Father. And I want to label this highlight season, I want to label this the encounter. The encounter. By the way, you know your handwriting is extra bad when you go through the trouble of making custom magnets for the whiteboard. Okay, this is the encounters. Jesus is having an encounter with the presence and the voice of God. You fast forward one chapter and you see another another season, and this is this is labeled the the calling, the calling season. This is where Jesus stands up in the temple. And he publicly declares to the world, this is what I've been called to do. And this is what he says in Luke 4, 18. The spirit of the Lord is upon me. 
What's Jesus saying? He's, he's teaching us his purpose. The Spirit of the Lord is upon me because he's anointed me to proclaim good news to the poor. He sent me to proclaim liberty to the captives and recovering of sight to the blind, to set at liberty those who are oppressed, and to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. So we have the encounter with God here in, in this moment. Oh my goodness, this is ridiculous to get off. We have the encounter with God in this moment, and this leads to the calling. So, so I mean, if this is just a pretty simple process. You encounter Jesus... And then you step into your calling. It's pretty easy, and that would be a really fun message to preach if that was the message that I could preach. But if you've lived for longer than 15 minutes, you have learned that life is not this simple. In fact, life is not a straight line from encounter to calling. There's something that happens between the highlights. And I want to do my best to, to draw this, to articulate this. I'm not much of an artist, but I think that between encounter and calling looks less like a straight line and it looks more like, like this. Okay, it's battle, it's trouble, it's struggle, it's chaos, it's crazy. If I were to label this season, I would label it with this word, it's chaos. It's Chaos. This is where the unwanted happens. This is where the unexpected happens. This is where the things that happen in your life that you didn't see coming happen. And this is the reality is in between Jesus' baptism, his encounter, and Jesus publicly declaring his calling, he spent 40 days in the wilderness being tempted by the enemy. Why? Because in the middle of encounter and calling, there's always going to be chaos. Are you encouraged yet? I found that, and this is so important for us to know because I found that there are so many believers. There are so many believers that believe if I read my Bible and I go to church and I pay my tithe and I do the right things, then God is going to reward me with this back door from encounter to calling and I don't have to go through chaos. The problem is Jesus promises us in this life you have hardships. The Bible says that it rains on the just and the unjust. In other words, that those who are good and those who are bad, those who are righteous and those who are unrighteous are all going to experience this season called chaos. And it's important that we know this because the Bible calls this faith a fight of faith. And what we do is we sign up for a fight and then we get confused when we get punched in the mouth. Can you imagine a boxer? Walking into the ring, the round starts, and they walk to the middle. They get punched in the face, and then they throw up their arms. They're like, what was that? <laughs> All of us watching would be like, it's a fight. You signed up for it. You're going to have to get used to that. It, it is important that we know about this season because if, it is, if this season blindsides us, then we are going to fail in this chaos season. We're going to be broken in this wilderness season. But I've got good news today, and I'm going to go ahead and get to the punchline, get to the conclusion of the message today. The, the, the spoiler alert is that you can be victorious even in the midst of chaos. You can have peace in the midst of the wilderness. You can stand tall in the midst of this difficult season. We're going to spend majority of our time today talking about this season called chaos. Because in between Luke 3, 21, when Jesus gets baptized... 
And Luke 4.18, when Jesus publicly declares his calling, we see Jesus in the wilderness. And we're going to look at that right now. Luke chapter 4, verse 1 through 13. It says this, Then Jesus, being filled with the Holy Spirit, returned from the Jordan and was led by the Spirit into the wilderness. Being tempted for 40 days by the devil, in those days he ate nothing. And afterward, when they had ended, he was hungry. I love when the Bible is just blatantly obvious. It's like after his 40 days of fasting, he was hungry. It's like, I bet he was. <laughs> and the devil said to him, if you are the son of God, command these stones to become bread. But Jesus answered him and said, it is written, man shall not live by bread alone, but by every word of God. Then the devil, taking him up on a high mountain, showed him all the kingdoms of the world in a moment of time. And the devil said to him, All this authority I will give to you and their glory, for this has been delivered to me, and I will give it to whomever I wish. Therefore, if you worship before me, all will be yours. And Jesus answered and said to him, Get behind me, Satan, for it is written. Everyone say, It is written. You shall worship the Lord your God, and him only shall you serve. Then he brought him into Jerusalem, set him up on the pinnacle of the temple, and he said to him, If you are the Son of God, throw yourself down from here. For it is written, He shall give his angels charge over you to keep you. And in their hands they shall bear up, lest you dash your foot against a stone. And Jesus answered and said to him, It has been said, You shall not tempt the Lord your God. Now when the devil had ended every temptation, he departed from him until an opportune Time. I want to I take a moment and I want to examine some of the temptations that happen in the wilderness. What is the enemy tempting Jesus to do and what is Jesus' response? And I think it's going to help us for our chaos wilderness seasons. But I believe one of the first temptations that happens in seasons of chaos, it's a temptation to forget who you are. Look at the first Words that the enemy says to Jesus. He says, if you are the son of God. Now this is so interesting because if you remember back to Jesus' baptism, what were the words that the father spoke over the son Jesus? He said, you are my beloved son in whom I am well pleased. And the first thing that the enemy does is challenge what the father said about Jesus. And that is what the enemy will do in your life is he wants, to, he wants to throw a curtain over your eyes so that you never discover what your father says about you. Because the enemy knows if you ever find out the authority that you carry, if you ever find out that the power that you carry, if you ever discover the value that God has placed upon you, he's in trouble. It's kind of like this. If any, anybody who knows me really well knows that my favorite board game of all time is Monopoly. If you and I play Monopoly, I will destroy you, okay? <laughs> I was in youth ministry for six years, and we, I would sit down at the Monopoly table with youth and young adults. And the first thing I would say when we sat down is I would tell these students, I was like, I need you to understand something right now. I am not Pastor John in this moment. I am a business mogul, and I am here to wreck your life. I am here to introduce you to an old friend named Poverty and Bankruptcy, and I am not going to be merciful. I just need you to know. And uh, I would just, I, would, I wasn't merciful. I was just like, I would, I would destroy people in Monopoly. And so I would love to play with you sometime. Um, and 
And, and when we were playing Monopoly, there were moments every once in a while where a new player would get a property that could greatly change the game. They would get a property of great value. And my strategy was always this. I got to make sure that they don't find out the value of what they're holding. Because if they ever find out the value of what they're holding, I'm going to go bankrupt. The enemy does the same thing with us. He knows that if you ever find out who you are, if you ever find out the value that you carry, then the kingdom of darkness is going to go bankrupt. So we've got to get to a place where we remember not what is the enemy saying now, but what did the Father speak over me? You are valuable, which is why the enemy wants to hide this fact from you. He wants you to live in insecurity. He wants to highlight every negative word that has been spoken over you. He wants to put an exclamation point on every negative thought that has rolled around your, in your head since you were young. The enemy is, is creating an all-out attack on your identity. And so I just want to take a moment and make the devil really nervous before we continue with this message. And I just want to show you in the word of God who you are. Did you know that Psalm 139 says that you are fearfully and wonderfully made? That, that God made you with intentionality in care, which means you're not an accident. It means you're here on purpose for a purpose. Jeremiah 1.5 says that before I formed you in the womb, I knew you. So not only did he form you together, but before he formed you, he knew you intimately. 2 Corinthians 5 says that you're the righteousness of God in Christ Jesus. Isaiah chapter 1 says that you are washed whiter than snow. Is anyone encouraged yet? The word of God declares that you are more than a conqueror through Christ Jesus who loves you. The word of God declares that the same spirit that rose Jesus from the dead lives on the inside of you. The word of God says that you have authority over the enemy, that you have authority over darkness, that you have authority over the evil one. And so I've got to remember who I am. The father is declaring over you the same words that he declared over Jesus. You are my beloved son, my beloved daughter, in whom I am well pleased. You start to walk different when you remember your identity. You start to talk different when you remember who Jesus says you are. You start to hold, you start to carry yourself differently. See, if I forget who I am here, the chaos will break me. But I can stand tall in the midst of chaos if I remember I am who he says I am. Now, when the enemy realizes that he cannot hide from Jesus who the father said he was. He resorts to a different temptation. And this is, this is so important that we catch this. He says this over Jesus. He says, if you are the son of God, what? Turn these stones into bread. The enemy was planting an idea in the mind of Jesus that your identity is actually validated by your performance. If you are the son of God, perform a miracle. Or if you are the son of God, perform. And the enemy does the same thing with you and I. He's, the, notice the enemy didn't even refute what the father said. He just added conditions to it. The enemy did not refute what God said about the son Jesus. He just said, yeah, there's just a little bit more. He just added to it. And the enemy does the same thing with us. He'll say, yeah, 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 you're valuable as long as you're winning at work. 
Oh, yeah, yeah, you're a son of God as long as you're doing great things for God and changing the world. No, 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 I, I agree. You're, you're powerful as long as you're making history. As if you are the son of God, turn these stones into bread. And we've got to understand that our identity is not validated by our performance. Our identity is not proved by what I do. And we've got to understand your identity is not in your success. It's not in your title. It's not in your salary. Your identity is found in one place, and it's what Jesus says about you. I want to show you this because, because the Father spoke over Jesus. You're my beloved Son in whom I'm well pleased. When did he say those words? At Jesus' baptism. So Jesus has just got dunked in water. This is before Jesus had a ministry. Jesus has not healed anybody yet. Jesus has not walked on water or fed the 5,000. Jesus has not been, uh, he has not been crucified. There was no death, burial, and resurrection. In fact, Jesus wasn't even working. This was beach day with John the Baptist. And in that moment, the father looks at Jesus and says, right now, you're my beloved. The father did not say, as soon as you prove yourself by working miracles, you will become loved. He said, yeah, I am pleased with you, period. So you've got to understand that your position right now, before you lift your hands, before you respond to the message, before you do something great for God, you're loved by God right now. That's good news. Right now you are loved by the Father. He says, this is my beloved Son in whom I am well pleased. In whom I am well pleased. It's kind of like, you ever seen those red carpet events? I get invited to them all the time. I'm like, guys, I don't have time for this. <laughs> Jokes. It, but from what I hear, they'll ask these celebrities this question. Not what are you wearing, but... Who, who are you wearing? Why? Because the value of an outfit is contingent upon the name that is attached to it. The value of an out, outfit is contingent upon the fingerprints that have touched it. And you need to understand your value is not contingent upon your behavior, your performance, or your job. It's contingent upon the fact that you're his that he designed you, that he put his fingerprints on you, that you are formed in your mother's womb. You are valuable, not because of what you do, but because of what he says. How do I survive between the highlights is I've got to remember who, I gotta remember who I am. Gotta remember who I am. I think there's another temptation in the wilderness and this is a temptation to feel abandoned. I'm reading through Luke chapter 4, verse 1 through 13. I'm reading these 13 verses of Jesus in the wilderness. And I'm realizing every single time that I read it, that something is missing. Every time I read this story, I draw the same conclusion. That the voice of the Father is absent and Jesus is in this place where God is not speaking in the midst of chaos. Have you ever been in a season where you can't seem to hear God's voice? You ever been in a season where the voice 
of the enemy is actually louder than the voice of God. I feel this bear witness with some people. What do you do when you can't hear God? What do you do when life looks like this and you can't hear the voice of the Father? What do you do when darkness seems to be more tangible or real than light? That the presence of the enemy seems to be more real than the presence of God. What do you do in that season? And I think Jesus could have very easily slipped into bitterness here. Uh, Father, where, where are you? Thought I was your beloved son. Is this how you treat your kids? I, I heard your voice clearly on this day. Heard your voice loud and clear on beach day. I did not need you when times were good. I need you now. Where are you? You ever been in a season like that? I feel the presence of God, so I believe you have. You ever been in a season where you're like, man, I used to hear the voice of God so clearly, but now that life is crazy, I can't hear him. And Jesus could have stepped into bitterness and confusion and drawn the conclusion, I think Father has left me. So what do you do in this season? Jesus teaches us a powerful, powerful principle here. Instead of getting mad, frustrated, feeling abandoned, and throwing in the towel, Jesus responds with three words, same three words, to every single temptation that the enemy brings. This is going to help somebody. Every time the enemy came, Jesus said these three words, It is written. In other words, this is what the Word of God says. And Jesus is teaching us a powerful principle. What do I do when I cannot hear the voice of God, when I don't have all the details, when he's not telling me what my next step is? And Jesus is teaching us that when you cannot hear what God is saying, remember what God said. When you cannot hear the voice of God, I've got to learn how to declare the word of God. This is a powerful principle because I've counseled so many people. Why can't I hear God's voice? And I'm like, hey, you've got 66 books full of God's voice. Right, can I just make this practical? Can I put this in your world, world for a moment? I, so I think if you hit financial turmoil, imagine you get a bill that is unexpected, a hospital bill, or you're at the gas pump. Come on, somebody. And you're like, man, what am I going to do? And here's what we do. God, speak to me. Tell me what to do. Tell me what I need to sell. Tell me where I need to go. Tell me where I need to invest to make ends meet. And we're getting nervous and frustrated and, and scared and feeling abandoned. And then in that moment of chaos, the enemy speaks to us. Yeah, you're not going to make it through this. And I can't get clarity from the Lord because I'm not always going to have that. Because there's times where he's wanting to teach us to trust him. And in that moment, what do you have in your soul? And if I know the word of God and love the word of God and am filled with the word of God, then I can respond, it is 
written. You're feeling financially nervous. It is written. He shall supply all of my needs according to his riches and glory. It is written. I've never seen the righteous forsaken or begging for, for bread. It is written that he will, but that a generous person will always prosper. I got the word of God living in me so that when the enemy comes, says you're not going to make it through this financial problem, I can say Psalm 1, blessed is the man who walks not in the way of the ungodly, nor sits in the seat of the scornful, nor stands in the path of sinners. But his delight is in the law of the Lord, and on it he meditates day and night. He shall be like a tree planted beside rivers of living water, whose grass never withers and flower never fades, and whatever he does will prosper. It is written, needs to be written on your soul, not just a quick Google search. The word of God is powerful and I think that we have forgotten the power of this book I think that we've forgotten that the word of God is living and active and sharper than any double-edged sword I think that we have forgotten that in the beginning was the word and the word was with God and the word was God I think that we've forgotten that first Timothy three sixteen declares that this word is breath itself it's God's breath I think we've forgotten the power of the word of God Watch this, we, we all can get on board with the power of the name of Jesus. We all know that there's power in the name of Jesus. We know that Philippians 2 says that, uh, that at the name of Jesus, which is a name placed above every other name, that every knee will bow and every tongue will confess there's power in the name of Jesus. We know that at the name of Jesus, people are healed. At the name of Jesus, people are delivered. At the name of Jesus, demons tremble and, and flee. We can all get on board about the power of the name of Jesus. But did you know that the Bible says that he places his word above his name? Look at Psalm 138 in verse 2. Psalm 138 in verse 2. I'll read this to you. I will worship towards your holy temple and praise your name for your loving kindness and your truth. For you have magnified your word. You have magnified your word above all your name. So, so the father is saying this, if you think my name has power, just wait and see what my word can do when you declare it is written. This book is powerful. But I think that we've forgotten because we've heard it so many times that it becomes monotonous. It's the lullaby effect. You ever heard of this? That the words and lullabies, become they lose their weight and their sting and their obscurity because we put them in a melody and we sing them over and over and over again. Let me give you an example. Rockabye baby in the treetop. What? Why is the baby in a treetop? When the wind blows, pause again. They waited till the weather was bad to put the baby up there. And we know that the story ends with the tree breaking and baby comes down, cradle and all. What happened with the baby? We'll never know. That's how the song ends. But we will just rock our babies and sing that song, not realizing how creepy it is. The words have lost their weight because we've heard them so many times. In the word of God, it's the same way because we will hear words like the same spirit that rose Jesus from the dead is alive and well on the inside of you. And you're like, yeah, I know. No, 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 no. 
I don't think you heard me. The same spirit that rose Jesus from the dead is radiating in your soul. That's life changing. The word of God is powerful. So you, this is why the Bible says, uh, David said, I, I've hidden my, your word in my heart so that I may not sin against thee. This is why the word of God says, let the word dwell in you richly. Listen, you've, Jesus knew the word here so that when he was here, he wasn't caught in a difficult situation. You need to know the word before you need the word. Consuming the word of God is like preemptive warfare. Consuming the word of God is uh, it's the preparation before the battle. You don't want to find yourself here and not have any ammo. And so when the enemy comes to me in a season of chaos and he presents anxiety to me, what do I have in me to respond? And if the word of God dwells in you, then you can respond, it is written, cast your cares upon me for I care for you. It is written, perfect peace belongs to those whose mind is stayed on you. When the enemy comes in with fear, I've got a response. It is written, God has not given me a spirit of fear, but power, love, and a sound mind. It is written, perfect love casts out all fear. When the enemy comes to me with temptation, I can say it is written, sin shall not have dominion over you. For I'm not under the law, but under grace. It is, it is written, I'm more than a conqueror through Christ Jesus. If this dwells in you, then you've got a response in every season. Let the word of God dwell in you, in you richly. I'm out of time. Now this, the way that I drew this, it's beautiful by the way, isn't it? It looks linear. It, it looks like encounter is going to lead to chaos Chaos is going to lead to calling. And that message would be like really, really fun to preach. Because I would get up here and I would tell you, if you can keep your encounter ha, through the chaos, ha, then you would reach your calling. But, but the problem is, this is not linear. This is not a straight line where I go from encounter to chaos to calling. This actually looks a lot more like a circle. This is an ugly circle, which I think conveys my point even better. There will not be a day in this present life when you stop experiencing chaos. This is going to be an infinite circle of encounter and chaos and calling and calling and chaos and encounter. And it's, it's going to be like that for the rest of your life. Why? Because it rains on the just and the unjust. And there's no option in life where you get an umbrella. The Bible says that the enemy was watching Jesus after he was tempted. And the Bible says that, that the enemy departed until an opportune moment. The enemy just watches and waits for Jesus to become weak. He waits because every single time I get in this season, the enemy becomes an opportunist. Every time your life hits chaos, the enemy sees opportunity. 
And so he departed from Jesus until an opportune moment, and a year goes by, two years go by, three years go by, three and a half years go by, and the enemy is watching Jesus, waiting for the opportune moment. And then he finds one. Jesus, if you fast forward to the end of his ministry, just days before Jesus is going to be crucified, Jesus finds himself in a place called the Garden of Gethsemane. He's about to give his life. And I imagine Jesus is seeing the crown of thorns that are about to be placed on his head. He's seeing the nails that are going to be placed in his hands and the nail that's going to be placed through his feet. He's envisioning carrying the weight of humanity's sin on his own shoulders. And the Bible says that Jesus is so overwhelmed to the point where he begins sweating drops of blood. And I can just see the enemy kneeling next to Jesus and saying, if you were really the son of God, would you be feeling that? Where's your father now? And in that moment, the enemy was tempting Jesus to give up on the mission. And Jesus even says from his own mouth, he says, Father, if there's any other way, can we do it that way? The enemy's like, yeah, 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 this is the season where you quit. Can I tell you, the enemy's goal for you every time you go through chaos is to get you to quit. But Jesus in this moment declares these words, nevertheless, not my will, but your will be done. And Jesus triumphantly stands up from that place and goes and is arrested by Roman soldiers. And from that moment, he goes and he stands before Pilate. And Pilate asks the crowd, what do you want to do with Jesus? And they say, we want to crucify him. And the interesting thing is Matthew 26 says that at any point, Jesus could have called down a legion of angels to rescue him. So at any point, Jesus can call this operation quits. Jesus has a crown of thorns placed on him. Jesus is flogged. He has a, a cat of nine tails crossing across his back, 39 stripes on his back. And then Jesus carries a, his own heavy wooden splintered cross on his raw and bloody back up a, up a hill called Golgotha. He falls down, he's nailed to the cross, he's erected on the cross, and there he hangs. And at any moment he can leave, at any moment he can escape this chaos. But our triumphant, reigning, powerful Savior did not quit in the middle of chaos. He endured. And now he reigns seated on the throne forever. Are you thankful for a God that endured in the midst of chaos? Are you thankful for a king who said, I'm not going to quit when the cross comes, not going to quit in the wilderness, not going to quit in chaotic seasons, but I will stay strong in the midst of this season. Stand to your feet with me. Stand to your feet with me. Jesus did not endure in the wilderness so that you wouldn't have to. Jesus endured in the wilderness to show you how. Now, I just, if you don't quit, you win. You ever heard that? 
if you don't quit here, you win. And I got really, really good news for you because this image is maybe discouraging for some that this is a circle. This life is a circle. It's a circle of life. Someone should write a song about it. Gosh, really bad dad jokes. There's gonna be a day where the circle stops. This is not an infinite circle because the Bible says that there's going to be a day where Jesus returns for his church and delivers us. And whether we go to him or he comes to us, there's gonna be a day where the circle stops and we step into an eternal place called heaven. And in heaven, there's no weeping. In heaven, there's no sorrow. In heaven, there's no pain. In heaven, there's no sickness. In heaven, there's no brokenness. In heaven, this is going to be darkness and death's last day. In heaven, this is when the enemy is going to be bound forever. In heaven, this is where God removes chaos from the equation. In heaven, this is the moment when we step into perfect peace and perfect joy and life abundant for the rest of our days. That's really good news. Bible calls it our blessed hope. So if you're feeling overwhelmed by the reality that life is going to be chaos and calling and encounter, I just want you to know now there's going to be a day where we stand before the throne of God and we sing holy, holy,